Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Let's um, begin with a word of prayer. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for the opportunity to worship you, Lord, to raise our voices to you, to, to pray, to offer our gifts, just a portion of what you've given us, Lord. And now as we open your word, Lord, help us. Help us to see what you want us to see. Help us to hear what you want us to hear. Help us to be who you want us to be, Lord. And I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you would, open them to Matthew chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, and if you would, in honor of God's Word, when you get to Matthew chapter 14, would you just stand so I'll know that everybody's gotten there, and uh, we'll read God's Word together. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin in verse 13, a passage that's no doubt familiar to most, if not all of you who are gathered here this morning. Matthew chapter 14 beginning in verse 13. Hear the word of God for the people of God this Lord's day. When Jesus heard what had happened, now by the way, what had happened was that Herod had had John the Baptist beheaded. When, Herod, when Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the town. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. Amen? Amen. Please be seated. Well, indeed, uh, thank you, Dr. Allison, for the opportunity. Yeah. See, now this, he's talking about, you know, just sort of the power of my preaching. So the last time I was here, he was not a doctor. Oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> Seriously, uh, congratulations, Aaron. I look forward to May 20th when you will walk across that stage and I will hand you that diploma and we will all rejoice. I do think he probably is a little nervous because what happens after you finish that is that, that you sort of wake up thinking that one day they're going to call and say, we made a mistake, it's not really awarded. And so he's probably nervous with me coming today. Like, is he going to tell me that he's actually... I'm not finished. I have one more thing to do. You're, you're finished. All you have left to do is to walk across the stage and receive the diploma. Yes, yay. Beth says yay, too. Abby and Luke and Lincoln say, hallelujah. No more dissertation. Uh, it is a joy to be back with you. I was here Super Bowl Sunday last year. Uh, you may recall it was a little cooler. 
Um, but it was a great day, and uh, thanks, for the, thanks for the invite back. My dad always said, you know, son, anybody can get a first date. <laughs> but if someone wants to spend time with you again, that says something. So thanks for caring for me enough. And, and uh, I w- just want to thank you for praying for union. I want to ask you to continue to do that. This year we're praying together Micah chapter 6, verse 8, Micah 6, 8, which says, he, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So I'd invite you to join in praying that with us for union. Indeed, um, Aaron mentioned that, that we're now ranked as a, as a national university. Uh, that's a, a pretty impressive thing, and we're the This is the first time being ranked as a national university, and we're the third highest national university in uh, Tennessee, behind only Vanderbilt and the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, which both have a little bit more money than we do, but that's all right. We're we're thrilled about that. It gives us an opportunity, indeed, to to, uh, proclaim the name of our Lord Christ. And, you know, we sang that song earlier, what a a wonderful name it is, what a powerful name it is. Isn't that an amazing song? I, I love that line. You silence the boast of sin at the grave. Oh, Jesus, right? And and for us at Union, that's what we really want. We want to lift up the name of Jesus. We want to say what a wonderful name it is, what a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. So we're grateful for U.S. News and Roll Report. Pray that you'd encourage us in that. But what we want most is to honor Jesus and to lift high his banner. Well, I know last time I was here was Super Bowl Sunday, so you were, you were probably thinking about what you had to get on to that day. Uh, but, you know, what the reality is is that every Sunday ends up being just as busy as the others. And so I want to do something similar to what I did last year. You may remember last year I shared one verse of Scripture. I told you one story, and I asked you one question. Do you remember that? Somebody nod? Yes? Sort of? Not really, but okay. <coughs> That's what I did. Uh, and that's what I want to do today, because I know this. I know that in the, in the time that we have, you can memorize one verse of Scripture. In the time that we have together, you can memorize one verse of Scripture. And I know this. I know that if, if, if this story relates well to the Scripture and maybe to your life, you'll see a glimpse of God's glory, and it will be uh, uh, something that you remember. And, and the question, if it relates well both to the story and the Scripture, it'll be a question that you'll think about, not just today, but by God's grace in the months and even years ahead. So in the time we have this morning, here's what we're going to do. One verse of scripture, one story, one question. You ready? Everybody's nodding. First, the scripture. According to rabbinic tradition, every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. I love that. Let me say that again. According to rabbinic tradition, every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. Now, we would say it different than the rabbis say it, right? We would say God's word is alive and active and dynamic and beautiful and glorious. I'm thinking I'm going to get an amen at some point. And incredible. And we have a hard time explaining how beautiful it is. And, and, and for, for the women in this, this room who may have a diamond on their hand, you remember how you just used to stare at it and see all those, those facets in it and how it sparkled? That's the way God's Word, isn't it, right? 
endlessly beautiful if we'll but just spend time in it. It, it kind of reminds me of a, a kaleidoscope. I remember the first time I, I put my eye up to a kaleidoscope. You, can, you maybe sort of remember this. I put my eye up there, and I was probably three or four years old, and I just squealed with delight because of what I saw at the end of that kaleidoscope. Now, I try not to squeal much anymore because it's not becoming of college presidents to squeal, all right? But I remember somebody holding my eye, that up to my eye and looking through there and seeing all the beautiful colors and shapes, yes? And then whoever was holding that turned it ever so slightly in the the shapes and the colors began to change endlessly beautiful. God's word is that way. If we'll just but spend time in it. Even this, this passage that is so familiar. Have you ever gone back to a familiar passage and you're like, I never saw that there before. That's because God's word is alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two any two-edged sword. And we love God's word. Even if you, if you sort of take this, this rabbinical formula, every verse of sacred scripture has 70 faces and 600,000 meanings. What that, mean is that means is that you or I could spend 1,644 years plumbing the depths of what God has for us in just one verse of his word. All right, already you say, what's the scripture for today? The scripture for today is Matthew 14, 17. Matthew 14, 17, which says, We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew 14, 17. Just say it over and over in your mind, even as I'm talking, and you'll memorize it by the time we walk out of here. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew 14, 17. Now, one of the challenges that we have of reading God's Word, is that when we read God's Word, it's just, it's just sort of black and white letters, marks really, on a page, right? Or maybe some of you have a red letter edition and Jesus' words are in red, but at the most you have is black or white or red. It's just the, the words on the page. So we read it as, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. But it probably sounded more like, well, Jesus, as a matter of fact, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, there was probably some frustration in their voice, right? And, and we don't see the action, right? Because the action's not described for us. The, the Bible just gives us people's words and deeds. It's not like a play where we can kind of see, yeah, the disciples rolled their eyes at Jesus, right? <clears throat> but they probably did roll their eyes at Jesus, right? Any of you who have teenagers... right? Don't you dare roll your eyes at me. <laughs> right? Because think about this, right? I, I mean, here's your biblical math, right? There's 5,000 men there, which means there's probably about 15 to 20,000 people gathered on that hillside. They've got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, what, what do you have? And they're like, really? Really? I don't know about you, but I find myself doing the exact same thing to Jesus. I think my plan is better than his plan. Right? They had, they had, after all, urged him to send people away. Let them go into the villages. Let them find something to eat. Jesus said, they don't need to go into the villages. You give them something to eat. Really? We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. 
Now, it's important to remember that this, this miracle of Jesus appears in all four gospel accounts. We, we've got to remember that. That fact in itself ought to make us sit up and take notice. What's happening here that, that God wants us to know about his character? What is it about this, this passage that makes it appear in all four gospel accounts? You see, that, that's very rare. All four Gospels mention it. Now listen, all of you, if you didn't go to Union, you went to school somewhere. And your parent, your mama probably told you, like my mama told me, listen, if the, if the teacher repeats something, it's important. You better write it down, right? And if, if the teacher writes something on the board and says it, you better make sure, because that's going to be on the test, right? This is repeated four times in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to assure you, if something was repeated four times in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is important. We ought to take notice to what's happening and what's being said. And so I want to encourage you, just today or this week, when you have some quiet time, go and read all four of these gospel accounts. Of course, it's here in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. It's in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. Mark 6, 30 through 44. It's in Luke 9, 10 through 17. Luke 9, 10 through 17. And it's in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. John 6, 1 through 13. I, I beg you, just go. Before you do, just humble yourself and say, Lord, help me to understand what you want me to know by reading this account of your life. And he will be faithful to reveal that. For example, in John, in the Gospel of John, we learn that it's a little boy, right? That has these five loaves and two fish. And, and there's, there's, there's one word in the Gospel of John that helps us understand that all of those people gathered on the hillside, probably some fifteen to 20,000 people gathered on that hillside, are poor. Because not only is this all the resources that are available among them, the, the loaves are barley loaves, right? They're barley loaves. They're not even wheat loaves. They're barley loaves. And that helps us understand that they're poor. It kind of reminds me of injera bread in Ethiopia. Has anybody ever been to Ethiopia? All right, one, great. What's your name? Sam, great name, biblical name. Sam, so Sam, go, next time Sam goes to Ethiopia, you can go with him. But when you go, they're going to offer you injera bread, all right? I do not recommend it, all right? It tastes like grass. All right? That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, <clears throat> most of us, when we think of Ethiopia, we think of folks who are, who are my age and maybe a little bit younger. Remember, there was an extreme famine in Ethiopia in the 80s, and uh, people all across the world gathered together to try to help people in Ethiopia. It's a very poor country. Susan and I had a chance to go several years ago, and it's an amazing country, but it's also still very poor. I mean, obviously, it's not in the desperate situation it was back in the 80s, but it's very poor. And, and what they have there, the, sort of this staple, is what they call injera bread. Now, it, it tastes like grass because sort of if you can imagine, you know like in the summer when your yard is really healthy, it goes to seed? You know, if you have Bermuda grass, it has that little seed. Or if you have San Augustine, it has seed. Somebody nod, note it, yeah? Okay, well, injera bread is like gathering all that seed together and then grinding it into a paste and then putting it on, pouring it on a griddle like a flapjack or a hot cake, all right? And you know how it bubbles up on one side and then we flip it over to kind of make it smooth? They don't flip it over. They just leave it all bubbly up. They call it spongy bread. Right, Sam? Sam's like, yeah. I don't recommend it. It tastes like grass, okay? <laughs> but it's all they have. 
right? It's all they have. And so they take what they have and make it into something useful for the people they love. That's the, that's the reason this boy had a barley loaf, because it's all his mom had. And she made it into something useful for this little boy. Maybe you're like me, and your deepest heart's desire is to be like this little boy in the Gospel of John. To say, take it, Jesus. I know it's not much. Take it. You can use it in ways that I can't even imagine. Take it. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew 14, 17. So you have the scripture. Now let me tell you a story. One of the things that people ask me about is, uh, they, that when they read about me or hear about me, uh, introduces that, that I pastored a church. And sometimes uh, when they hear that I pastored a church in Crawford, Texas, uh, a, a, a question comes in their mind. And sometimes after I'm speaking, they'll come up to me and ask the question. The interaction usually goes something like this. Uh, Dr. Dove, I understand that you pastored a church. It's like, yes, sir, I did. Crawford, Texas. Crawford, Texas, the Western White House. Yes, sir. Canaan Baptist Church, Crawford, Texas. I I'm just wondering, they'll ask, did George Bush ever come to your church? And the answer is yes, he did. And that's the story I want to tell you today. Hilarious. <laughs> Abby knows. The story actually begins on Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. I don't know if you remember what you were doing on Tuesday, March 31st, 2009. Some of you are like, brother, I don't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> on Tuesday, March 31st, 2009, I was sitting in my living room in Waco, Texas, watching ESPN coming live from Madison Square Garden, and the Baylor Bears were playing the San Diego State Aztecs in the semifinals of the Men's National Invitational Tournament. And I was fired up. Now, some of you are like, whoo, this guy's odd. Because you're basketball purists, and what you say is, Dub, you just said you're so excited about a team playing in the NIT, and everybody knows the NIT is just to figure out who's the 69th best team in the country, <laughs> which is true. But if you'll remember, in 2003, one Baylor basketball player murdered another Baylor basketball player. And the coach tried to cover it up by saying the dead player was a drug dealer. It was, it was the darkest thing I've ever experienced in higher education. It was awful, awful. And we released everybody from, from uh, the team to go. Um, only three people stayed. Um, on the, on the basketball team. And Scott Drew, who's the head coach of, of men's basketball at Baylor, came to, to Baylor in August of 2003, and literally there were three people on the team, and he said, I'll come here and I'll help rebuild this. And he literally went to the intramural gym and pulled guys off the intramural basketball courts to play for Baylor in 2003-2004. I think we won two games. We played like Little Sisters of the Poor and <laughs> someone else. So to go, to go from that point, that lowest point in 2003 to the semifinals, the final four of the NIT in just six years was an amazing accomplishment. And so we were cheering our bears on. And Susie, my wife, was in charge of the cheerleaders, so she had traveled up with the team to, 
to New York, and she starts texting me from the game. She's like, this is so awesome. You guys got to come. And we're watching the game, and about halftime, she's like, you really should come for the final game. I get online, and I start looking for tickets, right? to fly to New York City. But I didn't purchase them because everybody knows if you purchase a ticket before your team wins, you jinx them. <laughs> the clock ticked down, the buzzer went off, Baylor won, 76-62. Purchase, we're going to New York City. Well, the next day was April 1st, and the game was actually on Thursday, April 2nd. And, and hopefully you wouldn't read this about me, but if you talk to Susie very long, you'll find out that I'm cheap. I don't like to spend money, okay? <laughs> And for those of you who are cheap, I need you to know that if you fly early in the morning or late at night, the flights are cheaper, okay? And also, if you have multiple stops, it's cheaper. So Cal and I got up like at 3 o'clock in the morning, drove to Dallas to fly to Houston, to fly to New York City. But we got there in time for the game. We meet up with the team. We go there in Madison Square Garden. I mean, so much basketball history right there in Madison Square Garden. We're sitting literally on the... the in court line watching our team play in the championship of the NIT tournament and we are fired up, we're screaming, we're yelling, we're playing the Penn State Nittany Lions and Baylor lost 69-63. Bummer. But we were there, right? We were there and that's what's important. You go and you participate, we were there. And there's nothing like being there. Well, you know how it is in a tournament, right? You lose, you go home. That's the way it is. And so Friday morning comes and the team uh, flies home and Susie's with the team and so she flies home. But but. Also, just so you know, it's cheaper if you stay over Friday night. Flights, flights are cheaper if you stay over Friday night. So Callie and I were staying over, which is fine, because it's good dad-daughter time there in New York City. We went to see a show. We went shopping, see some of the sites. Great, great time together. And so we come home Saturday night late. Now, that's April 4th. And I don't really remember what flight we caught. I know it was one of the last flights out. I know this. I know we drove into our garage at 12.30 in the morning on what would then be Sunday, April 5th, 2009, okay? Sunday, April 5th, 2009, and we were exhausted. We were beat, so we crashed. Get up the next morning, and I say to Susie, uh, honey, you and Callie need to go ahead and go on to church. I need to do a little more work on my sermon. Callie taught Sunday school, so they needed to go on. She's like, okay, now, those of y'all who didn't catch that, Aaron definitely would have caught this, but those of you who didn't catch that, I need to do a little more work on my sermon, meant that the sermon wasn't done, okay? <laughs> now, Aaron, I know, would never, ever do this to you all. My people had to be a little more long-suffering. He would never do that. It was sort of just like a half-baked sermon, okay? And those are not good. Uh, so I finish up the sermon and I jump in the shower, and I get out of the shower, I have a voicemail on my phone, which is really weird because no one calls me on Sunday morning because everybody knows I'm in church. So I listen to the voicemail. It's our daughter, Callie. Now, I know you guys have not met her. Most of you have not met her. Callie is beautiful and sweet and gracious and loving and lovely and wonderful and loud, okay? She is, <clears throat> she's the child that we kept saying, use your inside voice. And she'd say, what's that? You know, it's like, that's not it. That's not it. And, and Callie's whispering on the voicemail, okay? I've never heard her whisper in her life. And she's whispering, and her voicemail goes something like this. Dad, where are you? Dad, you need to get to church. Where are you? Click. That's odd. So I immediately call her back, and she answers the phone whispering. Dad. I'm like, Callie, why are you whispering? This is so funny. What's going on? Dad, you need to get to church. I was like, babe, I am. I'm almost, I'm almost ready. I'll get there. The secret service is here. <laughs> I 
you know what that means. Click. <laughs> I did, in fact, know what the Secret Services here meant. It meant that the 43rd President of the United States of America was coming to church. So I got dressed just as fast as I could. You know, I'm throwing my clothes on and get in the car and I'm driving to church and my conversation with the Lord goes something like this. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously, Lord? The one day the president comes, have you read that sermon? We have here five loaves of bread and two fish. That thing stinks. <laughs> Fortunately, it was about a 45-minute drive, so I'm listening to praise music and calming down, and when I get there, the Secret Service people indeed are there, and they meet me, and they shake hands. You know, they're talking in their sleeves and listening in their ears, and they're like, we'd like you to stand right here. I'm like, perfect. That's where I always stand. <laughs> so, uh, well, the, the, the Bush Ranch is literally about a mile from Canaan Baptist Church, and so uh, we had literally people from all over the world, people from Australia and New Zealand and the Netherlands and France and Germany and England and all over the United States from Alaska to Florida and New York to California because everybody goes and they try to get in the Bush Ranch, and you can't get in the Bush Ranch, but you could get in the church. And so they'd come and visit us at the church, and they said something like, you know, the eagle has left the gate, whatever their code was. And they said, it'll be just a minute now. And indeed, it looks pretty much like it looks on TV in the movie. All the dark SUVs sort of swoop into the parking lot and all the doors open at exactly the same time. There must be a button, you know? <laughs> doors. And a few seconds later, in walked George W. Bush. And he said, good morning, Dub. How are you? And I said, I am fantastic. <laughs> And then he said, we're so glad to be here. I said, I hope you are. <laughs> really hope you are. <laughs> then Mrs. Bush came in and she said, Dub, it's just a blessing to be here. Thanks for having us. We're thrilled to have you. And Jenna and Henry, who were newlyweds at the time, were there. And there were some cousins visiting from out of town. And there were eight Secret Service agents. I mean, we had high attendance Sunday. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it was awesome. So um, Callie sang a special that day. It was really sweet. And then... I shared the word, um, and then after that, the president came up, and he was very kind and complimentary, and said that was a really great sermon, and I said, thank you so much, I appreciate it. Now, that's a great story, isn't it? It's not the best part. It's not the best part. So we leave there. We conclude our service on May 31st, 2009 at, at Baylor and at uh, Canaan, and I moved to East Texas Baptist University where I served as president, and we were uh, there and so excited, and, and you know, the, the, the reality is, is that just like we feel called to Union, we felt called to East Texas Baptist University and went there and started serving. Now, I, I, you guys remember what it was like in 2009? You remember how difficult the financial situation was and how we were all struggling? It, it seems so distant now, but remember how painful those days were during that time, and the institution was, was going through some real challenges, enrollment had dropped, and the money was difficult, and and I just got to a point where, where I'm like, Lord, I want to please you, but I, I just don't know if I'm doing what you want me to do, right? And, and here's the reality. If some of you are going through that right now, is that when God calls you somewhere, he does not promise that it's going to be easy. He promises that he'll be with you, okay? 
remember that. If God has called you somewhere, and it's a challenge right now, remember, he has not called you and not promised you that it's going to be easy. What he has promised is that he will be with you. So I'm crying out to the Lord, Lord, help me. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to lead in the way you want me to lead. I want to make decisions that you want to make. Lord, please give me some sign. Give me some indication that I'm doing what you want me to do. You ever been there? Man, I was there. I was there. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm on my face before God, just begging him, please, any kind of sign that I'm doing what you want me to do, please, Lord, give it to me. I get, I get lots of email, lots and lots of email, probably about 100 a day, 3,000 a month, 36,000 a year, lots and lots of email. And some of them are really sweet, like, Dr. Dub, you are the greatest thing ever. I just love you. You're the best thing since sliced bread. Like, print, I want to save that. And others, because I have to make decisions or because I take stands for biblical truth, um, people, you know, don't like that. And so they go something like, you're the biggest idiot that ever walked the planet. You know, delete. <laughs> anyway, lots of emails. And then, like, be here at this time, and could you turn in this report, and I need this from you, and what do you want to do about this? Lots of emails, 100 a day, 3,000 a month, 36,000 a year, lots and lots of emails. I got an email on December 4th, 2009, at 9.04 a.m. that changed my life. And I'd like to share it with you this morning. The subject line of the email says, Sermon from Palm Sunday. And the email reads, Sir... I am sorry to email you out of the blue. I work for former President George W. Bush as his personal aide and communications director. I had the pleasure of attending the Palm Sunday service with him at Canaan Baptist Church in Crawford. Your sermon that day about seeing yourself as God sees you, seeing your weaknesses as blessings rather than curses, and not hurting those you love with your weaknesses had a big impact on me and in particular has helped develop my relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I would love to have a copy of the sermon if you have one and would be willing to share it. If not, no big deal, but I thought I would check. I hope all is well at East Texas Baptist University. Sincerely, David Scherzer. Did you, <clears throat> did you hear that he remembered the points of that sermon? I didn't even remember the points of that sermon. <clears throat> so I wrote him back. And I said, David, I cannot tell you how much your, your note meant to me. You ever been like that? Crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, please, anything, give me any sign. And just when you need it, just when you thought you couldn't go one step more, God gives you that. David, I can't tell you how much it means that you reached out to me. And I found a copy of the sermon, and I attached it, and I said, attach this copy of the sermon. I'm glad it was helpful to you. I hope it's helpful to you in this form as well. Again, I'm so grateful for your taking the time to, to say something, to say an encouraging word. All the best, Dub. And I sent it off. And I got an email back that I'd also like to share with you. It reads... Sir, many thanks for sending a copy of your sermon. I will treasure this. 
there's actually more to my story. I am Jewish. And when I went to the Palm Sunday service with President Bush, I remember telling him that I hadn't been into synagogue in a while and I needed some spirituality. Inside, I'd actually been struggling for a while with my relationship with God and how to draw closer to Him. Your sermon really touched my heart and helped spark my curiosity in reading the New Testament. I read it this summer and could not put it down and in August accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The peace and joy I'm experiencing now is unlike anything I have ever felt. And I now know that knowing Jesus is what was missing in my relationship with God previously. I don't want to leave the impression that it was just your sermon that brought me to Christ. I'm surrounded by many incredible Christian influences, including President Bush and my wonderful fiance, Amanda. But it did have a major impact on me. Just thought you'd like to know, David. It's just so overwhelming. Eight years later, it's still overwhelming. So you've heard the scripture. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew 14, 17. And I've shared a story with you that reveals God's glory. So that just leaves the question. The question is this. You've probably already figured out. The question is this. Will you, will you offer what you have? Even though you think it's not worth much, will you offer what you have to Jesus and let him take it and bless it and multiply it? and use it in ways that you cannot even imagine or fathom. You see, I believe that Jesus is saying the exact same thing to you and to me, to everyone who's gathered in this room this morning, that he said to his disciples on that hillside some 2,000 years ago. It's recorded in verse 18. Bring what you have here to me. Jesus says, bring what you have here to me. Bring what you have here to me. The question is, will you? Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. We love you because indeed you take the littlest and the smallest things and use them for your glory and for our good. And Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for that, Lord. We praise you and thank you for the way you've done that in our lives, Lord. And we want to say that's the way we want to live every single aspect of our lives. Lord, I confess, we confess that, that sometimes we think we're not worthy or what we have to offer is too little or too old or too young or too not this or too not that. Jesus, forgive us and help us. Give us the grace to just bring what we have here to you. Our lives are all to you, Jesus. Help us do this. Help us do this by the power of your holy name. Amen. Well, as we move into a time of, of commitment and to, uh, of decision, as we sing, 
I want you to, to feel the freedom to come forward and to, to pray at this altar. Maybe it's that you need to, to lay something down before the Lord right here. The altar is open for prayer. Maybe, maybe there's someone even here this morning who hasn't given her life or his life to Jesus and you need to do that this morning. Come and do it. Give it to him. As you come and, and take the elements, whether at the front or the back, be reminded that as we offer our all to Jesus, he does indeed take it and bless it and multiply it in ways that we cannot imagine or fathom. And all we have to do is offer it. All we have to do is give it. Be like that little boy in the Gospel of John. Here, Jesus, take it. Let's worship together.